Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here. Well, we've been studying the parables of Christ, and we're going to continue. The good thing about this study, this sermon series, is that you know what I'm going to preach next week because you've read your Bible. And you said, well, he's on, he said we're going to stay in Matthew 13, and he's on this parable, so he's got to preach on this one next week. So I'm going to have you quote it back to me. Yeah. I know that was unrealistic, but that was a backdoor way of saying, please read your Bible. Next week, we will be talking about the parable of the costly pearl, which is right after the parable that we're speaking on today. The title of this message is Buried Treasure, Parables of Christ. Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Lord, help us as we study. I want to talk to you about three things. Hidden treasure, human exploration, and then the joy that comes from understanding what you found. Jesus spoke in parables, and the word parable in the, in the Greek means comparisons. He spoke in comparisons so people could have a good understanding about what the kingdom looked like. And in Matthew 13, he, he speaks about the kingdom repeatedly in different ways. And this being the fifth in the series of sermons, we've talked about the parable of the sower, the parable of the tares, the parable of the mustard seed, and the parable of the leaven. And today we're going to talk about the parable of the treasure. And the last three all speak of the kingdom being covered or hidden, undisclosed. That a man took a mustard seed and he sowed it in the ground. A woman took leaven and put it in three pecks of flour. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who found a treasure hidden in a field. There's something about the kingdom that is not readily apparent. God reveals it to him who seeks diligently, to she who will really work at trying to find out what it is. I don't want to bleed into my sermon next week, so I'm not going to continue the point with what it means to seek diligently. But it's rare to find a five-carat flawless diamond in the parking lot. <laughs> Things of value just don't appear on the surface. If man knows that they're valuable, they purchase them and hide them. They put them in places where nobody can steal them, vaults, safety deposit boxes. And it's much the same with God, say with natural resources. This hard-to-find gold just lying around at the corner on, on 29 and, and, and uh, 234, out there in Manassas in the battlefield. You probably will not find a gold nugget just lying out there. It's under the earth. And people will expend billions of dollars to find out how to get it out. They, they do studies geologically. 
to determine volcanic activity, tectonic plate movement, the kind of geological formations that are in that region, how long they've been there. Geologists and, and gemologists spend hundreds of hours determining whether it's even worthy to dig in that one spot in the likelihood that they will find something under the earth. Millions and millions of dollars just on the research. And once they find that the possibility is greater there than any place else, then they start taking out all the big machines and bringing in dynamite and start doing stuff and, and making the earth all rubble so that they can find out what's underneath without the guarantee that it's actually there. Probability, yes. But no guarantee. Sometimes they miss it altogether. You talk to people who drill for oil. And they think it's there because the likelihood of their geological studies say it should be. And they put down a drill and they go down three or four miles and they can't find nothing. Oh, disappointment is great. People will do that on a hunch. But it's hard for, I, it's hard for me to find people when Jesus says that the kingdom is guaranteed to folks that will search for it. It's hard to find people that will do it. Because when you find it, it is a mate. There is, there is an estimable worth there. But people think that whatever they have to give up is too great to gain inestimable worth. Mm. And it's guaranteed to you. Jesus is trying to do everything he can to help people understand the value of the kingdom. And how to obtain it. The kingdom is the most precious thing other than our salvation experience that Christ left us. It's the order that allows us to do things well. It's the system into which we plug that best suits us as human beings. It's the place where his rule and, and kindness and governance and, and benevolence and, and authority and power are best expressed in the kingdom. In the kingdom. And every once in a while, he'll bring principles of the kingdom into secular arenas that don't appreciate it simply because he loves the people in it. They don't acknowledge him at all. They don't love him. They won't give him his due. They won't say thank you. But he cares about people. Jesus said in Matthew 5, God makes the sun and the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. It's not just that he brings sh showers and sunshine to the gardens of people who love him. When it rains, it rains on everybody. Because God loves people. That's an expression of his goodness to mankind, yet mankind has not seen fit to give him any due. Not in large part, not in general, not in mass. We are called to be people that, that not only seek after it, but value the kingdom and appreciate the sacrifice that it took to give us this. Now let me help you and redefine again what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not just church, though the kingdom is best expressed in church. We find that, that we, can, we can experience the concentration of God's will done in church, at least it should be done in church. There are a lot of places that have the marquee of church, yet you can't find God when you walk in. His kingdom is not represented there. It's somebody else's idea about how things ought to go. 
It's not his kingdom. They're not going by the Bible. They're not, they're not going by his constitution, if you will. They're going by their own ideas about how things ought to go. Not good. God doesn't normally show up when people are intentionally building in contrast to his kingdom when they are upholding his name ostensibly. Outwardly seeming to do the right thing. Inwardly having a different agenda altogether. Going by the name of Christian but living otherwise. Remind you of anybody you know. Hopefully not in this room. There are places that advertise kingdom, but don't have it. And I'm not being critical. I'm simply stating the facts that I pray that somehow those organizations will find their moorings again. Go back to their history and reach and find the thing that birthed them. Because goodness and greatness from God came and established something. And somehow it's crumbled from the foundations down. And I pray to God that we never get that way. We are human, and without diligent effort, any human will go the wrong way. Without vigilance and responding to God intentionally on a regular basis, all human beings will not just drift, but swim that way. God help us. The kingdom, though, is not just church. It's not just on Sunday morning. It's not just Wednesday night. The kingdom is everything that God has in terms of his will in the earth. His order established any place a person who desires it to be established. His kingdom. His kingdom should be in your marriage. His kingdom ought to be in your friendships. His kingdom ought to be in your house. His kingdom ought to be in your business. If you're an entrepreneur, you ought to work by kingdom principles, not by profitable principles only. By the way, kingdom principles are always profitable. But there are things you can do that are profit-based without kingdom orientation. Greed, underhanded business practices, those things God will not bless. Though you might might gain, you won't have the blessing of God in it. The kingdom is that which expresses God's will any place and every place. And, And many times we miss it. Oh, we expect it in church. Because that's what we do. We're trying to do the will of God here. You got people who sing about the will of God. You got little black people who sit on a stool and talk about the will of God. You got children's ministers that are ministering the will of God. The kids, everybody's talking about the will of God. That's where the king is. Yes, it should be expressed here. And so you should expect it when you come in. But it should be expressed with the exact amount of concentration, maybe not with the depth of clarity because we work at this constantly with the same amount of concentration, though, and effort in your home. And even though you may not be entrepreneurial in your orientation and that you don't have a business that you own, the kingdom should be expressed in your employment. You ought to be the best representation of God they've ever seen, the best ambassador of the kingdom in your workplace they have ever experienced. And by the way, you don't always have to say in Jesus' name to prove you are an emissary of the kingdom. (laughs) It's just a religious thing. But the reason we say in Jesus' name after a prayer is to be a witness of those who don't know who we're praying to. There's no magic in that. There's no magic at all in prayer. 
Magic doesn't have accountability. Magic doesn't have relationship. Magic is simply a set of rules, a system, a formula that if you do it, it'll work out well. Now, you say, well, does magic really exist? I'm not going there this morning. <laughs> I don't have time. All I can say is that there is a supernatural element of the enemy that does express itself when he feels it's in his best interest to do so. But there's nothing about saying a prayer and then tagging in Jesus' name on the end of it that's going to get it any more answered. It doesn't work like that. Jesus was saying, you pray in my name, meaning under the authority of my will. When an ambassador goes from the United States of America and he's there in another country, he does not say when he begins a speech, in the name of the United States of America, I say to you, and then end it by saying, in the name of the United States of America. Everybody knows he's there from the United States of America. He's functioning under the authority of the United States of America. He's doing the bidding of the United States of America. Do people know that about you? Do they understand that about you and your kingdom principles, your priorities? You shouldn't have to say it all the time. There ought to be something about the way you carry yourself in your employment. The integrity with which you function. How you speak about your, your supervisor and your, your fellow employees. There ought to be something on the inside about the bearing of knowing that you are nobility and that you are a son and daughter of Almighty God. That's kingdom. That's kingdom. And when you walk into an environment, you take the kingdom with you. And it's hard for it not to spread. Hard. Even when you don't say anything, people experience it. Here we have a parable where Jesus is saying a man stumbled upon something. Now, when he speaks of treasure here, I don't think he's talking about the kind of treasure that you would find in, in pirate lore where somebody had a treasure chest and they put a bunch of stuff in it and then they went and buried it in some island someplace so they come back for it and pick it up later. The reason being, the guy went and bought the field from the fellow who owned the field. And if the fellow who owned the field knew that he had put his treasure in the field, he would not have sold it at bargain basement prices. He would have sold it for the price of the treasure, which would not have been a deal for the guy who was buying it. I think what he's talking about is that there is treasure in the earth, meaning like a mine, silver, gold mine. One of the ways California got populated in the 1800s was that there was a gold rush. The football team out there in the NFL, San Francisco 49ers, are named after a period of time when people rushed to California because in 1849 there was this idea that gold was every place. And when people were walking around and they'd stick their pickaxe in a, a mountain or they'd pan for gold in a river, they'd see little, little flakes and nuggets. And then as soon as they'd find this, then they'd go and get a claim. And they'd lay claim to this property. Well, as more people came out there and gold began to, to be found, the property did what? The value rose. As soon as people realize that there's value on the property, it's going to go up because they know they can get more for it. Everything about this parable says that the guy stumbled upon something that nobody else knew was there. And if the owner had buried the treasure there, he would have known it was there and wouldn't have been much of a value. Or excuse me, much of a bargain. 
So we feel like this guy was walking across. And remember, it's a story. It's a parable. It didn't really happen. But you have to read into the things that Jesus is not saying, that the guy actually was walking across and probably knocked over a rock and all of a sudden found a little something there. A little, just a little small nugget. What in the world? Oh, treasure. Where there's one, there's got to be more. It's amazing what human beings stumble across. Amazing. And it's important for us to notice what we stumble across. Some of you have come here this morning drugged by your friend. Welcome. <laughs> Happy you are here. I realize you'd rather be someplace else. I get that. Church was not the, your, your idea, especially after last night. I get that. And I'm not mad at you about it. But I want you to know, you stumble on something and there's a little nugget. Don't ignore it. Don't ignore it this morning. I'm telling you, there's stuff that's going to be said and sung and felt that you need to buy into today because it's here to help you. That's all we're doing is trying to help people be better people. Love God more. Do what they were intended to do, what God thought about creating them. That's all we're trying to do. So open your ears. That which has has inspired you so far to take a nap, wake up. There's value there. God wants you to know, even though it hasn't been, hasn't been discovered yet, there is value. And this man found it. There is intrinsic value that God has left in the earth as a result of Christ's ministry. And we are the people for whom he has left it. Not just Grace Covenant, but people on the planet for whom he has left it. There's value there. Value in how to live. Oh, do right. Be right. Wake up happy. Go to bed not guilty. Those are valuable things. Walk through the day knowing you've lived with integrity. Be able to lay your head on the pillow knowing you please God by living highest and best every day. And do not relegate my comments to those which are required in terms of action by preachers. Every Christian is called to be a great Christian. A great believer. There is no standard that's different for a preacher as there is for a Christian. Now, the judgment standard is much greater. You will not look at your friend who cheated on their taxes as somebody who is worthy of being fired from their job. But you will look at me that way. The standards are the same. Sin is sin. Righteousness is righteousness. Action must be that which pleases God at every level. But you will judge me differently because I talk about it all the time. I ain't mad about that either. I bought in. I knew it coming in. I got that. But there is value in this. I beg you not to ignore it. This guy found it. He found something. He found something. He just walked and go, wow. God. Okay. Now what? And as he, as he looks at this field and the possibilities, he, 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 he begins to understand that this hidden treasure just might be his. And in his human exploration, he realizes that I've got to do something about this. I have to take action. I can't just ignore it anymore. I've got to, in order for me to, to get the value of this because I can't steal it, Jesus wasn't talking about that. He was talking about buying. And simply because you discover something, does not make it yours. 
that you are listening this morning is not making it yours. You're enjoying the process. You're hearing something you may not have heard like you're hearing it this morning. And and, and all that's good. And you're bettered as a result. But it does not yet make it yours. Though you are more joyful in the last 20 minutes than than you were when you came in. Which is an indication of how you ought to respond. It says because when he found this, for joy. For joy over what he found. Do you, want to be, do you want to be released from all the guilt and condemnation in your life? Do you want to wake up not feeling like there's a Mack truck sitting on your chest? That your conscience just constantly bothers you every day of your life because you know you messed up over and over again and you don't know who to tell because you don't trust anybody. You don't even know how to repent. You don't know how to confess. You don't know how to get right. I'm letting you know there's joy for you today because you, you can leave here different. You can leave here different. No longer accountable for your actions of sin. That God can really forgive you. When I say accountable, it doesn't mean that if you've done something really, really wrong, you might not have to go to jail. You might. You might. You might. But we're talking about eternal accountability. That which subjects you to death as a result of your sinful nature and action. Jesus paid the price for that. This is good news. You don't have to suffer anymore for your sins. He has forgiven you. Oh, and my goodness, what value that is. It doesn't just relieve you of guilt. It relieves you of a future punishment that is eternal. And by the way, eternity is like a long time. It's really a long time. It's like when time ends, it keeps going. You, 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 go, you go to 10 billion years and turn right and keep going? I mean, it just, it just doesn't stop. And to experience the pain that you're going through right now, whatever it is, whether it's pain of conscience from not living right or pain in your body from not living right or, or whatever the consequence of your misdeeds have been, experience that, multiply it by eternity and multiply it by, by, by an, an infinite amount of excruciation. Because there is no relief ever in eternity when you suffer the penalty for your sin. It's horrible. Hell is horrible. When I was on campus, I talked to a lot of young men who were, who were in frats and loved to party. and Not just on Saturday. In college, you party on Tuesday. <laughs> and I was telling them, hell's a horrible, horrible place. You don't want to go there. Gosh, yeah, man. listen, all my buddies and me, we're going to go there and party. I said, well, can I, can, I, can I help just, first of all, you won't have any buddies in hell. I just want to help you. Because buddy friendship thing, it's a God thing. He created that. And, and hell, the only expression of God is his perfect judgment. So you will have no friendship there. Because the only way you have friends is that he allows you to through his principles and mercy. That's it. And that will not be present. And, and secondly, there will be no parties. <laughs> not, 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 not one. Not one party. Because excruciating agony will be what you feel every day of your life. And that with no anesthesia, no Tylenol, no Advil. Every day. All day. For eternity. Agony. It's a horrible place to go. And Jesus died so you don't have to go there. I'm telling you. There ought to be some degree of joy 
when you find this. Jesus said, this is what the kingdom is like. Guy stumbled upon something he didn't know, and he walked into a church. He walked into a Bible study. He think, oh, my goodness, I didn't know. This is amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Now what? Ha, ha, ha. It's going to cost you. Yeah. Discovery is good. Cost is better. It says, overjoyed from what he found, he went back home and found everything he had because he knew it was going to cost him a lot. Found everything he had. Sold it all so he could buy that field. The kingdom can't be purchased on a layaway plan. It's not sold at a discount. It's not that which you can buy on sale. You wait until the blue light special. Doesn't happen. Doesn't have, this is not Kmart. The kingdom costs the same amount every day, all day. Your life, all that you are, all that you hope, all that you dream, everything you want, all that you have, everything. You can't come to him and say, Lord, I give you Sunday mornings. <laughs> I want you to know I'm really committed Sunday morning and I won't fall asleep. I'm telling you, I'll be there. And we really want to, I'll come Wednesday night too. I'll come Wednesday night. And, and even that small group thing, the church, okay, that too. I'll go, I'll go. And I'll even pray with my wife at night, but don't touch my career. I've got an idea about where I want to go and how I'm going to get there. And I really, I'm, I'm really not, I, I got this. I got this. And don't touch my money. Don't touch my money. And don't touch my internet access. <laughs> Those three things. But I, I want you to know, I'm yours. You can't come like that. If he is going to be Lord, which he is, you don't make him that. You recognize this. He is Lord. If he's going to be Lord of your life, there is not an area where he cannot rule. You have to sell all. Everything that you are, all that you have. And the beauty is you get so much more back I just I just don't know I mean when you look at it logically it just it doesn't make any sense think about it what does God get out of the deal you what a what a deal how, how could he not take that so much value you add to him the equity that you bring to the table is absolutely priced he cannot say no to you to, to that to that deal Please. It's a liability to take us. It's just more problems. But think about it. Why do you have kids? So they can help you? <laughs> really? Why do you have kids? Why do you adopt? It's going to cost you the average that it costs. To raise a kid from zero to 18 is $250,000. That's not talking about college. That's another $200,000. You got a half a million into the thing once they got their college degree. What have you gotten out of it? Sleepless nights, <laughs> rebellion, sucking the lip, rolling the eyes. What have you gotten out of it? 
How much benefit was it to you? What was the value? And that you got to express love unconditionally. You don't care for them for what they can give you. You care for them because of who they are to you. They're made in your image. And all you want to do is give. The value that they have, you placed on them. They took from you all their lives. Brought you nothing back. And yet you're happy. <laughs> Schizophrenic almost, isn't it? Just a little crazy. This is kind of the way God is. At a yard sale, a man comes up, sees everything in the street, sees that rocking chair on the porch, which isn't in the yard sale. The man talks to the yard sale owner and says, listen, I'd like to pay for that. I'll give you 50 bucks for the rocking chair. The man says, not for sale. I'll give you 100 bucks, not for sale. The value of the rocking chair in terms of material, probably $10. I'll give you 150 bucks. That's a beautiful rocking chair. Not for sale. Sometimes the value is in the, the, the beholder. See, that rocking chair was grandma's rocking chair. And grandma rocked that little boy. And he remembered sitting on the porch being in grandma's lap. And he inherited that chair when grandma died. There's no amount of money that's worth selling that chair. He placed value on that because it meant something to him. God places value on you because you mean something to him. You mean something to him so much that he died for you. And he gets the short end of the stick because he gets us. We're not worth it except that he says we are. And, and what do we get? We, we not only get forgiveness, we get, we get a relationship with him, we get an inheritance because now we're his kids. And he says, here, I, I, I want to bless you. And he gives us hope and a future. He gives us relationships. He gives us principles that allow our relationships to last. He prospers us. He provides for us. And then on top of that, if it wasn't enough just to be bettered here, he gives us eternity with him. Outside of judgment, bliss, complete satisfaction in ways like we've never known. My wife was talking to me the other day. She said, what do you think heaven's like? I said, my words would, my best words, and I try to wordsmith life, my best words would not do it justice. Indescribably beautiful and full of contentment. And that based on the fact that God's love is unhindered in its expression to us. We don't have to go through all of the static of this world. It is just coming at us like a flood. The acceptance. And every time we look at his hands, we are reminded. See those nail prints? He got to keep those as trophies. See those prints in his feet? He kept those as trophies. See that nail scar in his, in his side? As a trophy of how much it costs to get you there. And every time we look at him, we will stream with tears. And he will come and then wipe the tears from our eyes. And then we look at him again and say, I got a new revelation. And it will never stop. You know, I've been reading this Bible for some time. And I've read the, 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 the Matthew 13 hundreds if not thousands of times. 
And now that I'm preaching on it, after 33 years of walking, 34 years of walking with him, I'm looking at this and saying, I've never seen that before. That's amazing. I've never seen that before. I've read this a thousand times. I've never seen that before. And I'm working with a short deck. I'm working with, with my limited capacity of mental acuity. When I get to heaven, all of a sudden you get this glorified body where you're not restrained anymore and how he created you to be. And you can use all of your brain, not just 10% of it. And all of a sudden you're looking at him thinking, oh, that, that, that's amazing. You see that? Whoa, God, you are just beautiful. And he shows you that. And, and, and you get a glimpse of his glory. And you think, I've never seen anything like that. That's amazing. And as soon as you, you stop being in awe, that if you can, he shows you something else. You go, oh, my God in heaven. That's even better. That's amazing how that works. And as soon as you stop being in awe of that, if you can, ah! And it goes on and on and on. And on and on. And all you feel is, thank you, because I, was, I wasn't worth it. I just wasn't worth it. I was a mess. You saved me when I wasn't worth saving. And somehow or another, you counted me valuable, and you loved me, and you forgave me for everything I did wrong to you and hurt people, and you are amazing, and all I want, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful. That you get in addition to being provided for here. Sell it all. Sell it all. What are you holding on to that's so valuable that you would not be willing to give it up for that? This man felt joy. He said, I'm going home, finding all I got, taking my little, little bit of money, all my house, my car, everything, because this is worth it. Let's pray.